0: This morning we're going to be continuing in our series in James chapter 3. So you can open up your Bibles and turn to James chapter 3. And as you're turning there, I just uh, want to tell you some things that are going on in in my heart and mind as, before we jump into the sermon part. Uh, here's a couple things that are going on with me, church. I, I was looking around and I was thinking through this this sermon series and I was looking around and thinking through what God's been doing in our church lately. and Some of the things you've gotten to celebrate and some of the things you all have no idea about. And as I started thinking about it, I realized there's some things that God is beginning to do in our church. I'm beginning to hear stories, stories that make me really, really happy and really, really excited. It makes me wonder what God's about to do here in our midst. There's stories I'm hearing about, um, let me give you an example, a couple of stories from Woodlands that we had here a couple weeks ago of all these families we got to reach out to and have contacts with, stories of kids that were saved stories of tragedy that was averted, just all sorts of difficult things that were happening in there. And, and God's using us. Even though those times that it feels small, like we're struggling, God's using us in the midst of this community, church, and, and that makes me happy. And, and these small little things turn into huge gospel moments that God begins to win. I'm, I'm beginning to hear more conversations of people that are representing Jesus well to people at their work. And they're doing it in a variety of ways, whether that's being there through very simple acts of service and support or really extravagant acts of service. Like I'm hearing stories slowly begin to trickle in of how Jesus is using you. He's using you right where you live. Right where you're working, right where you're going to school, the places you're having fun, he's starting to use you in ways that make me really excited here. So I don't, I don't know what God's gonna do in the future, but, but I do know this. I am excited to see what he's gonna do. I, I believe that his plan is to saturate the entire earth with his good news. Like he wants it all filled with his gospel. And I believe his pan, plan is not to use extravagantly gifted pastors. I believe his plan is to use every man, woman, and child, every regular follower of Jesus that's filled with his spirit, that has the gospel on their lips, that has love in their hearts, going out and proclaiming that gospel and, rep- and demonstrating that gospel in a way that people can see and hear and understand. I believe his plan is to use you in those seats. And I don't know how he's going to do it, but I know this. He's really strong. He's really, really strong, and he has always used weak and feeble men and women i feel like i'm an example of that but he is always using weak and feeble men and women he has a plan to use you church and i don't want you to be afraid of that i want you to be excited about it i want you to see what he has for you in the coming weeks and months and year i i would like to see some of you have stories of leading your unsafe friends to jesus in the coming year i would love to hear that I think it'd be an awesome thing that you wrestle through that agony of someone who's far from God but close to you and you begin to represent Jesus to that person over and over and over again. I, I'm excited to see what God will do in that. I, I'm excited to see what he'll do building community in our midst. I'm excited to see how you will grow more and more in love with him and worship him more and more passionately. You'll know him better and you'll love his word more and you'll love each other better. because of it. I'm excited to see what happens this next year. Now, that's just... Had nothing to do with my sermon. It just, it was just going on in me this morning, and as we were worshiping, that was going on in my heart, and I wanted to share it with you. I think God has some plans here in us, and He's working right now. So I hope you're encouraged. If not, uh, sorry. (laughs) Uh, Now we're jumping into James chapter three, and James chapter three is about the tongue. Let me tell you this about the book of James: it is not difficult to understand the book of James. I'm telling you right now, my 10-year-old could read this and, for the most part, understand what it's saying. But doing what it says, doing what James calls us to, doing what this book says feels extremely difficult. As we talk about the tongue, listen, this one's a doozy. It's a doozy of a challenge for us on the way we use our mouth and the way we communicate with one another. I was reading some stories this past week about Winston Churchill. Now, that guy was a gifted leader and speaker. He was somewhat cantankerous. I guess I would use the word cantankerous for Winston Churchill. Strong leader, but he had a quick wit and a very sharp tongue. Uh, some of these stories, I don't know if they're true or not, but there was one story that uh, Sir Winston Churchill was drunk, and he stumbled into the elevator of his hotel, and there was a lady in the elevator that he didn't like too much, and she didn't like him. And she, when he stumbles into the elevator, she goes, "'Sir Winston, you're drunk.'" <laughs> And uh, he responded, my lady, you are ugly, and tomorrow I will be sober. <laughs> You're Like, okay, that's how we're going to roll with this. I couldn't help but think of something. There's another story with him and another lady he wasn't happy with, and they were getting in a fight. I think it was something to do with parliament. I don't know. But the story goes like this. She was like, she, she said, if I, were your, if I were your wife, I'd put arsenic in your tea. Have you, have you heard this one? To which he responded, if, if I were your husband, I would drink it. Um, very sharp tongue. He, he had a quick wit and a sharp tongue and he had a way of inspiring people and crushing people. And I don't know if those stories are true or if someone made them up. I, I read them somewhere. I didn't hear him say them, obviously, in person. But here's what I do know. Uh, there's a guy named Washington Irving. He said this, the tongue is the only tool that gets sharper with use. It's the only tool that we have that gets sharper with use, the, the more we use it, the sharper it gets, and that's the focus of James chapter 3, the first part of it this morning. And so I want to jump in as we look at this very difficult subject of how we use our tongue and how we use our speech. So James chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, let's read this. He says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that, that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. That's a valid point for me making a very short sermon today. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So Here James starts by addressing teachers. Seems like a weird place to start, but he's talking to teachers because he's saying this. It is a serious task when you stand in front of people and you teach them the Word of God. It, it's a holy and difficult task, task you need to take very seriously. And there's, because it's such a serious task, not many of you should do it. And every time that someone gets up to teach the Word, they need to understand something, that they have tremendous potential to accurately tell people who God is and what he's like and what he has done. They, they have a chance to get it right, but they also have a chance to mess it up. They have a chance to steer people astray. They have a chance to use their tongue to hurt and to harm people. And the more you teach, the more you do this, the more someone gets up and handles the word, the more opportunity you have to really mess things up. And he makes this statement. He says, listen... Many of you will receive, you'll you'll be judged with a greater strictness. Some people translated that double judgment. I don't think it means double judgment, but it does mean there's more reason for you to be judged. You're going to stand in front of Jesus, and you're going to give answer for every word that you say. Here's what Matthew chapter 12, verse 36 says. Jesus is talking, he says this, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Listen, if all of us are given an account for every word that we speak, then teachers who get up on a regular basis are going to have a lot more to give account of, especially because of the task they do in handling the Bible. And listen, because it's easy to sin when you speak, because there's consequences for our word, this is a reminder for us that we all need to be careful about the things that we say. And James, uses this conversation about teachers, using this example of using teachers, this example of teachers spin, board into, spin, board, into spin board into a conversation with, a conversation with a conversation about what they teach, about what they, they teach, to the all, all the time, and, and, that, that, that and, it and that's why we need to be really careful in this topic here. And so as we jump into this, I want you to consider this thought here. As I was chewing on this week, I thought about this fact. About 20 years ago, there were very few people that were allowed to get up from a pulpit and teach people about God. There were very few people that had the task, and I say very few, relatively few, it, it, not everyone got access to a moment to get in front of a group and proclaim the Word of God and, and give their thoughts about what's happening in the world. We, not many people could do it. And that was a good thing because not many of us are gifted in that. It's a, a tremendous potential for all sorts of harm and damage. And if you get up and speak in front of people on a regular basis, you learn very quickly. You learn very quickly how... How you can harm people and damage people, how words that when you go off script can get the wrong thought in. I've been shocked over time at moments where I missaid something and someone begins to repeat that thing that I missaid as if it's accurate doctrine of the word of God. It's a a scary and terrifying thing and it's a reminder that very few people should be up teaching the word for the church. It it should not be a lot of people. Not everyone's qualified to do this. And, And I say that, as I'm saying that, I'm trying to say that humbly. I'm not trying to puff myself up. I'm trying to say that's the point that James is making. We should be very careful about who's teaching the word because all of us struggle with our tongues. As I thought about the fact that 20 years ago, very few people had access to a pulpit, Now when I look at today's society in recent years, Twitter and the internet have given everybody a global pulpit. Every single one of you has access to share your thoughts and opinions about anything you want to share your thoughts, opinions about, and it can be broadcast all over the place. You can broadcast it on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and whatever other things are next coming down the pipe. I I even think about how quickly you can send responses. Like, theoretically, right now, as I'm preaching, you could be sending me an email while I preach about something I've already said, with your thumbs right there in your seat, and And if James is concerned 2,000 years ago about the way the church is using their tongue, if it was a problem 2,000 years ago, then I would suggest it's a full-scale epidemic in the church today. When we talk about how we use our tongue, I want to be really clear. We're not just talking about the words that we say. We're talking about all the ways that we communicate. And we have more ways to communicate now to a broader audience than we've ever had access to in our life. I'm not just talking about your tongue. I'm talking about your thumbs. That's that's where I'm trying to get. We can be keyboard warriors. We can be um, internet. We, we can just it just can be get really really savage, church. And so as James talks about teachers, I want us to realize this. You all have access to a pulpit that very few people would have had access to 20, 30, 50 years ago. Definitely not. I don't even know if the Internet Internet didn't even exist 30 years ago. Anyways, not 30, 50, whenever. Going to stop talking now and move on to the next verses. James chapter 3, verse 3. By the way, it's a really awkward thing to go off script in a sermon about the tongue and realize I really should rein that back in right now perfect illustration verse 3 he says this here's what he's saying about the tongue see not a lot of people should should teach because there's a lot of judgment there we can all struggle in the tongue verse 3 he gives an example of how powerful this tongue is he says this if we put bits into the mouths of horses so they obey us we got their whole bodies as well look at ships also though they are so large and are driven by strong winds they're guided by a by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs so also the tongue is a small member yet it boasts of great things here's what james is saying he's like listen let me give you two examples how powerful little things can be talks about these massive horses with with all these muscles and this massive beast that the way people control a horse is they put this one little thing in its mouth I don't know how to handle horses. If you know horses, I'm, I'm assuming you can agree with this, but it just takes a bit in a horse's mouth for this person to be able to control and steer this big beast of an animal. It talks about boats, these big, huge boats that can handle hurricane winds, when I was thinking about cruise ships. I used to live near Cape Canaveral and there's these massive cruise ships that would come in and out and they are gigantic. And these things go into huge storms. When, when you think about the size of the rudder on a cruise ship and how it steers that massive ship, you realize that small little things have huge power. They, they have the ability to steer and alter things. And, and here's what James' point is. Every time that you, are, you and I speak, we're releasing powerful and potentially life-altering catalysts into people's lives. Every time we speak, every time we communicate, there is potential power to alter people's lives and impact people around us. Every time, every tweet, every Facebook post, every word you and I say, all has the potential to impact and influence people in powerful and strong ways. We don't just say things and they go off into nothingness doesn't just get released and disappear into the world. When you and I say things, they go and they impact people for good or for bad. You have the power. Here's what that means. That you and I have the power with the things that we say and the way we use our mouth. We have the power to encourage people and to embolden them and to correct and to direct. We have the power for tremendous good with the things that we say. And at the same time, we have power for tremendous damage and danger, we can destroy and tear down and divide people. You and I, with the words that we speak, whether you have a pulpit or not, if you have relationships with people at all, you and I have the power to either do tremendous good for people or tremendous harm. And it reminds me of this Spider Man quote with great power comes great responsibility. Uh, I'm also reminded of a Keen Peel quote that with great power comes great scrunch- Um These are comedians. If you don't know who that is, if you know, you know. Anyways, uh, I want you to consider for a moment how you're wielding that power. I want you to ask yourself this question. How am I wielding this tremendous power that God has allowed me to have with my tongue? How do I I use that in the realms that I'm living? Let me me walk you through a couple areas. How do you use your tongue and your words and your communication in your marriage? Uh, Are your words used to Build up and encourage and speak the truth and speak love and, and stir up boldness and courage in the in your spouse, or are they used to tear down? Are they used to destroy? Are they used to belittle? How do you use your tongue in your marriage? How how are you using this great power in your parenting? How do you use it for your kids? Are they hearing more discouragement and more tearing down? Or are they hearing more correction? more truth, more gospel, more love, more grace, more mercy? How are you using this power that God's given you in your friendships and in your relationships in the church? Uh, Are your relationships in the church and the way you use your tongue, are you using your tongue to lift up the glorious truth of who Jesus is and to stir up worship? Are you using it to encourage and challenge to fight sin? Are you using it to build the people up or... Are you using your tongue to gossip and to tear down and to demean and to drag away from the glorious truth of Jesus? How are you using your tongue with your lost friends? Are you using it with your lost friends? Are you pointing them to an amazing, gracious, and merciful Savior? Or are you silent in that area? Are you speaking to them with character and honesty and integrity? Are you speaking to the people around you who are far from God but close to you at your workplace and in your neighborhood and at Little League? Are are you using your tongue for good or for evil? Then I would have to ask is, how are you doing online? How do you use your online presence for, do you use it for love and for care and for truth or for division? Do you use it to destroy? Do you use it to spread lies and and false things that are bouncing around? Do you get sucked into the latest insanity that happens online? Church, James chapter 3 is challenging, and it reminds us that we have this tremendous power that we will answer to God for. And the question is, how are you using that power? How are you using it in the, all the different realms and areas of your life? Think over your last week. Was it more kind, merciful and gracious and true? Was it more gossipy and bitter and judgy and whatever words I should say to add to that? Was it more like Christ or more like the devil? Here's the deal, with that power, the thing that James goes to next is not just that your tongue is really powerful, your tongue is really dangerous. Look at verse five again, the second half of it. He says this, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Just just a little spark and you can burn everything down in a forest. Right? Look at verse 6. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members. Look, Look at this description. Staining the whole body. It's corrupting. It's setting on fire the entire course of life. And we're just saying, listen, the tongue is a thing that can set every, every area of your life on fire. You can burn down your family, your relationships, your job, your community. You can burn it all down with your tongue. And it's set on fire by hell. Well, James is a little feisty. I got to be honest with you saying, listen, it's not just you can set on on fire everything in your life. It's a tool of hell. It's like hell come to earth. It's it's a Satan's tool right there in your presence that can be used by the devil to burn everything down. Have you seen that in your life? Have you seen that in your friend's life? Have Have you seen that in the church? Have you seen how speech can corrupt and contaminate? Have you seen relationships damaged by words, by your words, by my words? Have you seen marriages spiral into this awful place because of the way people fight and communicate? Have you seen kids wrecked by it? Have you seen that? All those areas I've talked about? Have you seen how a few careless words can send someone into a downward spiral? I think about the times... I guess I remember more the times I've received it than the times I've given it, and, I, and I've given it. I'm not acting like I'm innocent in that, but I think about the times people have said things in just the right way, at just the right time, and it sucked deep into my heart. We all have wounds like that. We have wounds that we felt from people we loved, wounds from our parents, wounds from our kids, wounds from our friends, wounds from church members with words that just, pierced and cut and not in a kind and loving way but in a mean and destroying way listen augustine said this about the tongue he was talking about beasts and animals he said that a beast can destroy your body but a tongue can destroy your soul man the the tongue is very, very dangerous. There's, there's a reason why James said in James chapter 1, verse 26, he said this If anyone thinks that he is relig- religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this person's religion is worthless. The tongue is so powerful and so dangerous that if it is unchecked and unbridled, it will burn things down around you. You will ruin everything in your life with a tongue that is unfettered. Look at what else James says. Because what I'm thinking like, man, if this thing is this powerful and this dangerous, i got to get this thing under control. Look at what he says in verse 7 and 8. And let me warn you, he's about to get even more discouraging. There is good news coming. It says this in verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird and of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. Listen, people tame all sorts of things. There's dudes in the circus They crack a whip and they got these lions sitting down like little, little puppy dogs and jumping through hoops or whatever they do. There's people that control elephants with a little chain and a stake in the ground. There's people that control every sort of animal. And people have the craziest pets. People have big, giant snakes, big, huge, massive snakes. I have no idea why you would want a giant snake for a pet. That's crazy to me. And if you're crazy... I'm sorry, but you're crazy. You don't need a giant pet. They have tarantulas and piranha and all sorts of crazy things for pets. There's stories of guys with lions or tigers. I forget who's the tiger guy. Well, I should have written that down. People have tigers for pets. They have all sorts of animals for pets. I watched a video this past week of, I guess it was on Twitter because you gotta be on Twitter if you wanna study the tongue in James chapter three. I was on Twitter and there was this video of this lady that she had these little baby puppy, puppy lions, what do you call it? kitten lions, and she had raised them a little bit, but the government came and took them away from her because you don't let crazy cat ladies own lions just for the record. And so she came back to see them after I don't know how long and these giant lions come running up to this lady and they jump up on her, they're like, Nuzzling on next to her, and I'm like, lady, that thing wants to eat you. Like, she's cuddling it. And I'm like, if that lion just has a bad moment, he's gonna literally destroy that lady. He's all up in her neck, just like all up in there. And then there's a second one jumping on her, and she's loving it. And I'm like, the Twitter person is like, isn't this amazing? I'm like, no, this is stupid. I don't want a pet lion. I mean, I do, but I don't. I don't want a pet lion. And, and here's what he's saying we can control all sorts of animals humanity knows how to tame the craziest things but look at verse 8 but no human being none can tame the tongue now you can get your dogs in shape you can get your kids in shape maybe listen you can be self-disciplined you can You can handle all sorts of things. You can figure out the most creative ways to steer boats, to steer horses, to steer organizations. You can build giant buildings. You can control corporations. But no one can tame their tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Well, Man, good grief, James. (laughs) Uh, did, Did I just hear what I just think I just said? What I think I just heard? Did James literally just tell me that listen, you're going to answer to God for the way you use your mouth and it's got tremendous power and it's really dangerous and you can't control it and there's no hope for anyone to ever control that thing. Is, is that what I just read? Like, do, do I just, am I just destined to wreck everything in my life? Am I going to ruin every relationship and destroy my kids and infuriate my wife? Am I gonna ruin my friendships? I mean, if that's true, if I'm destined to do this and there's nothing I can do to stop it, I mean, why even bother? I mean, is there any hope? Is there any way? If James is saying no one can tame this, is there any way to fix this? Do I just need to stop talking completely? Maybe, (laughs) just kidding. James does hint at a solution. He does. There's good news here, but there's always good news after the bad news, and here's what you need to know. Uh, without help, we have no hope for controlling our tongue. None. Here's what he says. Let me me read what he says in verses 9 through 12. Look at this this scenario he's painting of what happens with people. It reminds me of double-mindedness that I saw in James chapter 1. Look, Look at how he describes what's happening with these people. Verse 9. With it, with our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. We worship him and we praise him and... With it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. We praise and we worship God. Then we look at people who were made as image bearers of God, and we curse them and tear them down and destroy them. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. It shouldn't be that way. Look at what else he says. Verse 11. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Hey, in case you don't know the answer to that, the answer is no. You don't go to a spring and drink from it today and it's fresh water. Don't do that by the way. Uh, And then you go and you drink from it tomorrow and it's salt water. That's not the way these things work. If it's a freshwater spring, it keeps kicking out fresh water. And if it's a salt water spring, if that exists, I don't even know, it's just going to keep kicking out salt water. His other example, verse 12, can a fig tree bear produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Here's Here's what I think James is saying. He's saying this. There's a source to your speech. The problem with you and I handling our tongue is not that we need more self-control and self-discipline. The problem with our tongue is that the source is contaminated. The problem with our mouth, the problem with our lack of self-control and the things that we say... Is not just a bad moment. The problem with, that you and I have with our mouths is that the source is contaminated. That's the problem. The way we can sing praises to God and curse the people next to us, where we can do all these sorts of things, the problem is the source. And Jesus told us the source, source in Matthew chapter 15, verse 18 and 19. What did he say was the source? Here's what he said. Verse 18 of Matthew chapter 15, he said, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this, the heart, defiles a person. It's, what did he say there? It's what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. Verse 19, for out of the heart, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These things come out of our heart. Our mouth is all it is. It's the overflow of what's actually happening inside of our heart. The problem is that you and, is not that you and I need more discipline. Remember what James said, no man can tame the tongue. This isn't a discipline issue. This is a heart issue. That what you and I need is well, we don't need a man to tame the tongue. There is, while there's no person who can tame it, there is a, a being who can tame my tongue. And his name is Jesus. Like while I can't tame my tongue, Jesus can change my heart and then tame my tongue. Does that make sense? That what I need for him, what I need from him is I don't need just to say better words. I need a heart that is filled with different things that changes the words that I say. There's a difference in what I just said. That's not a small thing that I just laid out before you. What I do not want you to do is go get some rubber band and every time you say a bad word, you pop it. Oh, shouldn't have said that. That's not going to help. The problem is not self-discipline. The problem with the tongue is a problem with the heart. And when it is coming out, what I need is I need something different in here. I need to change here. I need to go to Jesus and say, I need your help. I need you to clean what's in here and change what's in here and fill what's in here with something better so that what comes out of my mouth is an overflow of what you are doing in my heart. This is a very different thing than just controlling your mouth controlling your mouth is pointless religion if you do it with an unchanged heart. But if the gospel does a work in you and I and it changes us on the inside and is changing us on the inside, if the spirit takes up residence inside of you and I and he is empowering us with resurrection power to be able to actually love and worship and speak the truth with kindness and mercy, if he's actually changing us, then that should give us everything we need to have mouths that begin to communicate differently. Let me tell you what should be flowing out. There's two verses that stood out. Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, says this: Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so you may know how how, to, how you ought to answer each person. Like, listen, he says this, listen, there should be grace in your heart that overflows out of your mouth. Colossians 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The the word of Christ is in you, and it's in there, and it's richly, not just a little bit. There's a lot of it. It's overflowing with it. And here's what pops out when the word of Christ dwells in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Church, here's what I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine what it's like with the church full of people who have experienced the mercy and grace of the gospel of Jesus and have hearts deeply changed. And so what happens is we show up here and our hearts are overflowing with worship before we step into this room because we've been walking with Jesus all week and he's changed us and we've been in the Word, We've been in awe of who he is And nobody has to set the mood for you to worship. Jesus did something in your heart that when you see truth about him, it has to come out of your mouth. Do you see the difference between that and saying, what's the best song for me to sing to get you in the mood to worship? One is a manipulation tactic. The other is something that God does in your heart that no one can quiet Imagine what that's like. Imagine to be a people who see the goodness and power of God everywhere. That as we're walking along and we see the beauty of creation, we respond in worship. And when we see the the awesomeness of people around us, we respond in worship. When we see God work, we respond in worship. When we read the word, we respond in worship. When we're with the people of God, we respond in worship. That we are overflowing with worship. What's it like when we get together with those people? with hearts full of worship that are overflowing out of their mouths. what is it like? What is it like in your marriage and with your kids that not just that you control your tongue but that your heart sees them in a way that says, I want to encourage them. I want to love them. I want to speak kindness to them. I want to speak courage into their life. I want to give them direction. I want them to meet and know Jesus and I want them to experience him through me. What does it look like, not just with your mouth more controlled, but your heart more in love, expressing itself to them through your words? What does that do to marriages and families in the church of Jesus Christ? What is it like to to be with a church that values and loves the people who are sitting in this room? What What does it look like if what's happening is not... We have to stick you into groups and hope that love happens, but that God's already done this work of love in your heart. And when you get into this room, you love the people who are here. And the people you haven't met, you view intrinsically with value of being made in the image of God. You see them as valuable and precious to God, you see them as being an image bearer of Him. How do you interact with those people when they're different or view things differently or act differently or they're still in process with God? And they might be limping along in sin or they might be doing great with sin. If your heart towards that person is full of love and value and respect, what does that look like when we talk with each other? It comes out. Gossip doesn't happen. Mean, cutting, biting words, I... Can't imagine that coming out of a heart full of love. That comes out of a heart of something else. And those weak moments aren't just weak moments where we lose control of our tongue. Don't excuse yourself with that. Those aren't just weak moments. Those are heart moments where something popped out and it needs the gospel work of Jesus. Church, the problem with our tongue is not a problem with our tongue. It's a problem with our heart. The problem with our speech is a problem with our heart. And I want to give you a few practical ways to respond to this. And here's the very first thing I I want to give you to do on this thing. Do not try to control your mouth without letting Jesus deal with your heart. So I want you to take time with Jesus. And honestly, repent of the way you've used your tongue in bad ways and ask him to change your heart. I don't want to do any other first step. The very first step is, Jesus, I need you to clean my heart. That's why he died on the cross. He didn't die on the cross for you and I because we were pristine, awesome creatures. He died. He had to die on the cross because you and I were broken and twisted, rebellious creatures that were not full of love and mercy and grace and kindness. We were full of self-absorption and rebellion. And he came to die on the cross for us and come back to life three days later, not because we could clean ourselves, because we needed someone else to clean us. We needed help. So you should not get used to not asking for help. That, That did not make sense. You should be used to asking for help from Jesus. That's a regular, normal thing. That is part of the Christian life. We see the darkness, we run to the Savior, and we ask him to help continue to clean us. That's, that's what it looks like to live walking with Jesus. So I want you to ask him to help, and I want you to believe the gospel. I want you to actually believe that he can clean your heart. I want you to actually believe that there's real power from him in you and I to actually change us in a real meaningful and impactful way that actually touches the way we speak. And then after you do those two things, after you ask Jesus to purify your heart, after you believe the gospel and believe that he's able to do that, then after that, not before, after that, here's what I want you and I to do. Every day this week, I want you to lovingly, out of a heart of love, give your family words of encouragement and vision and instilling boldness. I want you to, on purpose this week, repeatedly by the power of jesus and faith in his gospel i want you to constantly be saying today i want to say encouraging kind gracious true words to my wife and kids and grandkids okay if you're single say it to your friends okay can we do that don't just do it and not mean it that's why we want to start with heart change first mean it point them to jesus Tell them where you see Jesus at work in them. Tell them the things that you value and love. Thank them for the things they do for you. Praise them for the good things that they do. It doesn't mean you can't correct things in your kids, but we should have more encouragement than correction most of the time. The next step, every week, I want you to find ways for the people in your gospel community. In this church, there should be a group of people who know you and that you know. I want you to find ways every week of speaking hope and the truth of the word and the gospel to the people in your gospel community. Find one person this week and every week to share the truth of Jesus with in your gospel community. Does that make sense? You can do that. It can be a quick text. It can be a conversation. You show up at church and you're looking for one of these people in your community. You're looking for a way to encourage and speak the truth of the word to them. You're looking for a way to text them that stuff. You're looking for a way when you get together outside of this time at lunch or something, you get together this week for coffee or a meal or dinner and you're saying, listen, I just wanna tell you, I've seen Jesus in you. You did this last week and I thought it was awesome. Or I've seen him, I'm seeing him change you. Man, I'm pumped to see what Jesus is gonna keep doing in your life. He did this, this, and this. And you can speak these things to the people in your church. And here's the other one. Every day this week, every day this week, I want you to find ways to praise and worship God. I want you to look for ways to say out loud to the creator of the universe and the savior of your soul, I want you to actually spend time this week saying, I saw this in your word. I see this in your creation, God. I I want you to find not just one thing. I want you to repeatedly and over and over and over again every day this week, intentionally find ways to speak worship to our God and Savior. That's the point of James. I, I don't want us to talk about the tongue and not actually do what he has called us to do. And so church, here's my challenge for you this week. My challenge that I believe James chapter three is laying out for us is this. We need to encounter the gospel of Jesus in such a way that it changes our heart and then that changes the way we speak. And when you aren't speaking in line with what the heart change God has done, then you have more heart work to do with Jesus. Do you bow your head and close your eyes? I just want to give you a moment to respond. And and here's the simple ways you can respond. Did, Did God convict you of the way that you are using your tongue? If so, then repent of that right there in your seat. Did he call you to to express grace and mercy and truth and love and encouragement to the people around you, either in your family or in your church or in your neighborhood? Did he call you to that? If he did, then, then I want you to ask him to help you, ask him to help you do it authentically and commit to him that you will do that this week. Did he point a friend out to you that, that needs some words of encouragement? Commit that this week you're gonna do what he, the, do what he called you to do. Do you have a friend who's either far from God or wandering from God who needs to hear the gospel? or the beginning of gospel engagement, would would you commit to do that this week? Have you been lacking worship? Listen, would you ask him to give a heart that sees his greatness and mercy every day? you begin to express it to him. In a moment, I'm going to close in prayer. But if you need more time to do business with God, or you need to speak with someone. Our, our pastors and decision council will be down front at the end of the service. We'd love to talk with you. Heavenly Father, God, God we come to you And we confess, God, we don't wanna follow empty religion. God, Mm -hmm. I just, would you please protect us from trying to fix our tongue without fixing our heart? And I'm praying that we'd be a people that would be radically dependent on you and your power to be at work in us. God, I'm praying we'd be a people that would actually have faith and we would see you working. God, every time you reign in our tongues and you cause our hearts to overflow with love and grace and mercy and worship, God, I pray that would cause more worship for you and say, God, we see you, you did this. God, I pray you'd be able to celebrate your gospel work in us that would change our hearts and therefore change our tongues. God, give us hearts of encouragement and love for those around us. God, give us families. Make our families these havens. God, I am praying you'd make it havens of speaking the truth stirring each other up to love and good works. God, God, I'm I'm praying that you would make our homes places of deep love and kindness and grace and mercy. God, we know there has to be correction, but make our homes places of mercy and grace. God, make our church a place of love and truth and worship. God, I, I pray you would make us your people who speak your truth and kindness to everyone around us. God, we pray you would help us do that. We pray that all in Jesus' name, amen. Church, it's been good to be worshiping with you today. If you need to speak to someone, our pastors and decision decision counselors will be down front. If you're visiting, if you brought a guest, I'll be down front as well. I would love to get a chance to meet you and just say, hey, and church, I'm praying that as you go to finish off the summer for these next couple weeks, I pray as you leave here today, you would leave here asking Jesus to change your heart so that you would speak, you would speak in a way that reflects the truth of the gospel. Have a great week. It's been good being with you. See you next time.